Welcome to Wisdom Trek with Gramps. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, and we are on day 2219 of our trek. The purpose of Wisdom Trek is to create a legacy of wisdom, to seek out discernment and insights, and to boldly grow where few have chosen to grow before. We are continuing the message that I delivered at Putnam Congregational Church over the last couple of years. Today's message is the first of three Easter-related messages titled, Making It All Better, The Story of Jesus' Friend Lazarus. I pray that it will be a conduit of learning and encouragement for you. Well, thank you for all being here today. I do appreciate it. Now, we just finished up last week a nine-week series of the story overview of the Bible, which was answering the question, what does God want? But today we begin three weeks of Easter-related messages, and today we're going to study Making It All Better, the story of Lazarus. As we approach the Easter season, we're reminded of the miraculous events that occurred during that time in the life of Jesus leading up to the crucifixion and his resurrection. One of the most remarkable events, of course, is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. The story of Lazarus is found in the Good News According to John the Apostle in chapter 11. It's a powerful reminder of Christ and his power over death and the power and the hope that we have in him. The story that teaches us about the deep love and compassion that Jesus had, not only for his friends, but also for us. And then the power of incredible power that he had to perform miracles. And today, as we reflect on the story of Lazarus, let us be reminded of the hope that we have in Christ, the promise of eternal life that he offers to everyone who has believing loyalty in him. And I pray that the story will help us to deepen our faith in Jesus and our trust in him as we continue on this journey toward the celebration of that Resurrection Sunday. Turn to the John chapter 11 as we read this incredible story together. It's on page 1668 in your pew Bible. Now, as with Sarah, this is a really long passage. And I'm going to read the entire chapter of, of John chapter 11 because it tells the whole story of the story of Lazarus. The first section is the death of Lazarus. Starting in verse 1, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you're going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they will see by this world's light. It is a person who walks at night that they will stumble, for they have no light. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. Then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe but let's go with, to be with him now. In verse 16, Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of his disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. 
This next section is Jesus comforts the sisters of Lazarus, starting in verse 17. On the, his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to, to Mary and Martha to comfort them at the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at that last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection of the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Oh, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. After she said, had said this, she went back and called her, her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and he is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in her house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb, there, to, the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in the spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, See how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And in the next section is Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Verse 38. Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up to the Father, looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, and they, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Then this next section is the plot to kill Jesus, starting in verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priest and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is a man performing many signs. If we let him go like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. Then one of them, named Caiaphas, who was a high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You don't, do not realize that it is better that one man die for the people than the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not only for the nation, but also for the ch scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. And this was referring to the Gentiles and the Jews coming together under Christ. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. 
Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people in Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness at a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial, ceremonial cleansing for before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus, and as they stood in the temple courts, they asked one another, What do you think? Isn't he coming to the festival at all? But the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that anyone who found out where Jesus was should report it, that they might arrest him. I know that was a long passage, but it gives us a complete overview of the picture of this time where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Now, after contemplating the story of Lazarus, let me share, you a very short, share with you a very short story. There was once a little girl who hurt her finger and got a paper cut on it. So she ran to tell her daddy. She showed him her finger. Daddy, look it, I got cut. But he was busy being busy. So he took a quick look at her finger and brushed her away saying, it'll be okay. But it wasn't okay. The little girl ran crying, ran crying her eyes out to her mother. Oh dear, her mother said, does it hurt that much? As mom made it all better with a little kiss. The little girl said, no mommy, it's just that daddy didn't even say, oh dear. She just wanted someone to comfort her, to say, oh dear to her. And we find that Jesus is doing this for his friends, Mary and Martha. In the face of the death of their brother Lazarus, Jesus weeps, and he says, in effect, oh dear. And then he makes all things better. We don't know how it all began, the friendship between Jesus and Lazarus and Mary and Martha. We do know that Lazarus lived with his sisters in Bethany, a small town about two miles outside of Jerusalem. We know that Jesus took his disciples there overnight whenever they came to Jerusalem. Now, if you look at the bulletin insert on the side, it says, making it all better, the story of Lazarus at the top. You'll see a red dot where Bethany is, and then Jerusalem was to the west of that, just two miles. So it's really close. Jesus and the disciples counted on Lazarus' home, sort of as their own private bed and breakfast for them. The tiny village home became a base of operations for Jesus. At the beginning of the day, Jesus would walk their short distance, about a half hour route, into Jerusalem to speak in the temple. And then he'd come back to his family's at the end of the day, to have a meal with them, with his disciples. Now, apparently, over the time of the three years of Jesus' ministry, this happened quite often. And he always felt welcomed at the home in Bethany, even though he felt less and less welcome when he was in Jerusalem, because his enemies became bolder and they were trying to kill him. The Gospel of John mentions five times an attempt on Jesus' life. John chapter 5, verse 18, they tried all the more to kill him, Chapter 7, verse 30, they tried to seize him. Chapter 8, verse 59, they picked up some stones to stone him. Chapter 10, verse 31, again, they tried to stone him. In chapter 10, verse 39, again, they tried to seize him. After that last moment, Jesus stayed away from Jerusalem and went on to the Jordan River. If you look at your map again, there's an orange dot there where Jesus is teaching in this area. He went to that area of the Jordan outside the Jordan River, on the other side, the east side of the Jordan River. So that meant that he wasn't spending as much time with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So it might have been a good while since he had been to their home. But then one day, as he was preaching in the Jordan River, Jesus received this urgent message from Mary and Martha. It simply said, Lord, the one you love is sick. Lazarus was close to death. Jesus was summoned to come at once to heal him. 
When Jesus received the message about Lazarus, he realized that it was time for him to come and die on the cross. Yes, Jesus would go to Bethany, but he also knew that his enemies were waiting there nearby in Jerusalem. So by choosing to go to Lazarus, he knew that he would fall into the hands of his enemies. The trip from the Jordan River to Mary and Martha's home in Bethany was about 20 miles. It's like us walking from here to Caldwell. It's how far Jesus had to walk to Bethany. As Jesus approached Bethany, he learned that Lazarus had already been dead for four days. Nevertheless, Martha met him on the road outside Bethany as he was coming approaching the town. And she told Jesus bluntly, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Her words seemed tinged with a suggestion of blame. But then her conversation suddenly turns as her faith broke through, seeing her Savior. Martha said, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. She was asking Jesus to raise her brother from the dead, Lazarus, back to life. This was also Martha who, in an earlier story, was so preoccupied with cooking supper that she didn't have the time to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from his teaching. But here we see Martha's rock-solid faith in Jesus. And Jesus said to her in verse 40, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she said in verse 27. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come into the world. Then Jesus calls for Martha's sister, Mary, who says the exact same wistful words to Jesus. If only... But before Mary could finish speaking, her tears came out hot and heavy, and she was overflowing with grief. The conversation gave way to pure emotion. Mourners from Jerusalem were there, and they weep too. And so does Jesus. Simply says that Jesus wept. Jesus was saying, oh dear, to Mary and Martha, and some say that this showed the humanity of Jesus with his tears, as if to imply that his divinity lacks any type of feeling or compassion. But on the contrary, it's more truthful to say that Jesus was displaying the true heart of God here. Since God has shared our humanity, God shares our sorrows. God weeps with us. God feels for us in our grief and our loss. Yes, Jesus wept. And his weeping was genuine. It wasn't something contrived. Although he was the resurrection and the life, he still had sorrow. He sorrowed to learn what had happened to one of his dearest friends, Lazarus. Besides his close internet circle of disciples, Lazarus may have been one of his closest friends because death is a terrible thing. Now, the story especially emphasizes the genuineness of Jesus' sorrow. Back then, if the family was wealthy enough, they would hire professional mourners who would make sure there was enough loud wailing at the funeral that everyone could hear it. When the story describes the crowd weeping here, it uses the Greek word kleo. It's a connotation for a loud wailing that could be easily heard. But when the story describes the weeping of Jesus, the word is dakruo, and it carries the suggestion of a quiet weeping, a sobbing from the heart. Jesus wasn't a performer like those professional mourners were. It was a friend, his friend lying there, and Jesus burst into tears over the death of Lazarus. 
In effect, he was saying, oh dear. If you look on your other side of your bulletin insert today, in the New Living Translation, when it talked about Jesus weeping, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. He was angry in the spirit. Something else was happening that's not in all the English translations of the Bible. Jesus was deeply angry, angry in John chapter 11, verse 38, saying that he was deeply moved, and this is when he comes to the tomb. But, and that's in the New, Living, New International Version, but the translation hardly conveys the true genuine emotion. The original language is much more raw, and the translation hardly conveys that. The original says that Jesus was absolutely incensed. The New Living Translation puts it this way in verse 38. Jesus was still angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Now, the word for anger here is sometimes used for horses snorting in with rage. The Lord was upset. He was snorting with rage. But you might ask, that's not the picture of Jesus that I see. So what was he angry about? He was angry at death itself. Death that was brought on by Adam and Eve as they disobeyed God and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's also propagated by those evil ones in the unseen realm that disobeyed God. Death was not part of the original plan. Have you ever felt angry at death? At that whole thing? I know I have of the death of a lifeless body of a loved one or a friend, death and funerals and crying, and the finality of it all, or so it would seem. Today, it would be like Jesus walking into a funeral home amidst that piped-in soothing music, the bouquets of flowers around the casket, the body prepackaged in the casket, amidst people saying platitudes like, she was such a nice person. Jesus would be standing there at that what we do at funerals, possibly angry and furious, saying, is this how it all ends? With music and flowers and a casket and men opening the doors for you? Is this truly the end of life? That's not what Jesus is about. The one who said, I am the resurrection and the life. He is the one who has come to say, oh dear, and then make all things better. And so the friend of Lazarus, with him dead, Jesus was weeping and angry. But Jesus also shouted Lazarus back to life, saying, Lazarus, come out. The dead man does come out. His feet are bound, <clears throat> his feet and hands are bound with tight strips of linen, and a cloth covered his face. And Jesus said to the him, them to take off the grave clothes and let him go. When Jesus brought Lazarus back to life, most people there believed him. And what they saw with their very own eyes. They knew Lazarus. They knew that he had died. They had been mourning him for four days. And now they witnessed Jesus bringing him back to life. So you can imagine the excitement that they had. How the report quickly spread. That's right. We saw him with our own eyes. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. If you don't believe us, go ask Lazarus. The report must have whipped through Bethany like a windstorm and then rushed through to Jerusalem like a raging tornado down at Mount of Olives. 
When, but when Jesus heard, or when Jesus' enemies heard about it in Jerusalem, they decided to get rid of Jesus once and for all. The masses were rallying behind this charismatic leader, that Messiah. It could spark a revolt against the Romans. And what would happen then? They would lose all their stature and their power. They may even be taken over and their temple destroyed. Something had to be done fast in order to save their nation. The decision was made. The die was cut, cast. There was one, uh, no other choice. Jesus must die. So Jesus Christ raised a dead man. And because of that, he would have to become a dead man. When Jesus raised Lazarus, he set in motion all the events of Jesus' last week, the week that we call Holy Week, starting next week at Palm Sunday. If you look at your bulletin, insert that graphic down at the bottom there. You'll see a red line going from Bethany through Bethphage, down the Mount of Olives, and into the temple. A few days later, after the raising of Lazarus, Jesus once more went to teach in the temple of Jerusalem. This time, though, lining the road were hundreds of people who had heard about Lazarus. It was a day that we know as Palm Sunday, which we will study more in depth next week. That ancient path that Jesus took on that first Palm Sunday from Bethany to Jerusalem still exists today. For those who have had the privilege of being there to walk on it, I've been told that it's like stepping back in time. Some of the homes on that path are just like the old-fashioned Arab homes that you might expect Mary and Martha and Lazarus to have resided in. The Bethany Road runs atop a hill on the edge, and as you walk along looking in the distance south through other hills that are bare with tre from trees, you'll see off into the distance that it slopes down to the Dead Sea. And it descends, the final descent from the Mount of Olives on into Jerusalem. Just a few days after Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, Jesus went down that, first, that road on that first Palm Sunday. And the people were lining the streets as he came in, thinking, no man has ever done this before. They heard about the raising of Lazarus, the wonderful miracle that Jesus had performed. They, so they welcomed Jesus, and they threw palm branches and garments down on the road ahead of him. But among the crowd, some remained appalled and silent. To them, Lazarus was just a fraud who was complicit with Jesus' trickery. If you lived back then, you'd either be cheering with excitement that Lazarus was raised from the dead, or you would be jeering inside your heart. The raising of Lazarus was not just an ordinary miracle. It's what we call a sign miracle. It was not just a display of supernatural power. It pointed out the true identity of Jesus. He is the Messiah, the King of Kings. He is the Son of God. Now, there's seven of those sign miracles in the Gospel of John, and each of them is like a flashing sign pointing out the true identity of Jesus. First, Jesus turns the water into wine at the wedding in Canaan. Then he heals a nobleman's son. Then he heals a lame man at the pool of Bethsaida. And then he miraculously multiplies a few loaves of bread and a few small fish to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. Then he walks on water in the middle of a stormy night, and he also heals a blind man. The raising of Lazarus was the last and the greatest of all the sign miracles that John had given us. It told everyone in a big and bold way that Jesus was more than a rabbi, that he was more than a carpenter or a carpenter's son. It showed 
that Jesus was the resurrection and the life. But there's something about, else about this sign miracle that we should know. When Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, it's a decision point for each of us. It's a point where we have to make a choice. We either believe that Jesus was the resurrection and the life or that he was not. And the same holds true for us as well. Towards the end of the gospel, John writes in the, these words in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. Jesus performed many other signs in, in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is waving this evidence in front of our face today. He's saying, look here. Here it is. Either believe Jesus or reject him. John doesn't want our half-belief or half-rejection. He wants us to make a firm decision. And one day, you and I will die. The mourners that are there to console our loved ones, the professionals will close that lid on our lifeless face. So the question is, will that be the end of you? Is, there, is that all there is to life? Will that be our final scene? Death and flowers in a funeral home. Or will that weeping and angry one who is at the tomb of Lazarus, who is the resurrection of life, shout life back into you again? As we close our eyes in death, we wake up in the presence of Jesus. As Christians, we have the hope of that resurrection. We have the one who said, oh dear, and then he made it all better. He made all things better for Mary and Martha as he rose Lazarus from the dead. And he'll make everything better for us as we close our eyes in death, we will open them in new life. Because Jesus said, on that resurrection Sunday, I am the resurrection and life as he rose again on that third day. Now resurrection season is all about hope. Next week, we'll follow Jesus down that Mount of Olives, along that twisty road where the Jewish officials scolded him as the crowd shouted out, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus replied, If they kept silent, the stones along the road would burst into cheers. So next week, our message will be when the stones cry out. So I have in the bulletin the reading for next week, Luke chapter 19, verses 35 through 42. If you have a chance to read that before next week's message, let us pray. Father, we do thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. We thank you that you've given us new life through Christ, who bore our sins, that we might have eternal life. We thank you for your blessings of this day and every day, we thank you that when we close our eyes in death, that we'll open our eyes in your presence. To be with you forever, Father. One day we will have an immortal body as you raise these old bodies and give us an eternal body to be with you, Father, in the last day. We thank you for these promises that we can learn about Lazarus. We thank you that Jesus can come to us and say, Oh dear, 
but then he'll make it all better. We give you praise and we give you glory. We give you honor for all things, Father. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I pray that this message was a blessing and a time of learning from God's word. Thank you so much for allowing me to be your guide, your mentor, but most importantly, I am your friend as I serve you through the Wisdom Trek podcast and journal each day. And as we take this trek of life together, let us always live abundantly, love unconditionally, listen intentionally, learn continuously, lend to others generously, lead with integrity, and leave a living legacy each day. I am Guthrie Chamberlain, reminding you to keep moving forward, enjoy your journey, and create a great day every day. See you next time for more wisdom from God's Word.